0: You are listening to the Ortho Idea Podcast, where we bring you the newest trends in orthopedic technology. Tune in for engaging interviews with medical device executives, surgeons, and surprise special guests discussing new disruptive technology in the marketplace. Here is your host, Eric Anderson.
1: Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Ortho Idea Podcast. My name is Eric Anderson, I'll be your host today. And today I am extremely excited to have our guest, Kevin Brown, come on. He has a unique perspective on several different things within the orthopedic industry and not only the orthopedic industry, but his wildly successful device nation podcast that he has started in, in this recent times. And we're gonna tie everything in and have a lot of fun as we talk about all these different things that are affect us within the orthopedic space and professional space and we'll probably get into his guitar playing and who knows what else. So without further ado, Kevin, how are you today?
0: I'm doing awesome, Eric, and I really am honored to be on the Ortho Idea podcast. Exciting times.
1: Yeah, it is. And you know, I've followed you, obviously, you obviously follow your podcast and then also on on LinkedIn and, you know, see the kind of things that you're talking about. You've had some awesome guests on your podcast. I love tuning in. So I kind of wanted to just get you on the show and just talk about, you know how did you decide on Device Nation? What made you say one day, you know what, I'm going to try and do this and and put this out to the masses. And now, I mean, people are talking about it everywhere. So I'd love to hear how that evolution began.
0: Well, thank you, Eric. It really just sprang from wanting to help people. We talk about that a lot in medical device. That's really what this job is. And selflessly helping people and not expecting anything in return. And that's exactly where we are with Device Nation. But I get something every week. I believe my audience gets something every week just listening to these amazing people and their life story. And it really just sprang from initially creating some content on LinkedIn and connecting with some surgeons, Dr. Matt Barber and Dr. Vinod Dasa specifically who would later become interviews on the show and seeing the content that they were putting out there. I'm absolutely a a sales trainer trapped in a rep's body and I've really enjoyed that part of my career, helping other reps and taking things that I've learned, things that I've observed taking that big file cabinet that you develop over years of doing this job and, and looking at it and going, what do I do with this? How can I help other reps in this business? And I looked for opportunities to do that at my situation at the time, and they just weren't there. So I looked at LinkedIn and started creating some content, got some traction and I thought, well, this is kind of fun. I got very positive feedback because nobody was really doing that at the time. Started the whole stupid rev Tricks concept. And my wife at the time was listening to Bigger Pockets, a real estate podcast for investors. And she talked to me about, well, you know, why don't you take this information and, and bring it into a, a podcast? And I thought, okay, I'll try this thing. I didn't know what I was doing. Went out on Amazon and bought some equipment. And it's been a, a learning experience going through this process because there's there's certainly things you pick up with every episode that you would do differently and, and do, hopefully do better. But at the end of the day, here we are. And 35 episodes in and just have gotten to speak to some amazing people both on the rep side and the surgeon side and i just got the numbers in this morning and we had a record week again so for a niche market that we really have here i've been so excited to see how well it's done and and again who we've gotten to bring to our audience it's just incredible and it's going to get even more incredible i've got some people teed up that's Really, just exciting! Some of the Mount Rushmores of orthopedics. Yeah, let me repeat that. Some of the people whose face should be on the Mount Rushmore of orthopedics.
1: Understand well, and I've listened to all your podcasts, and they're fantastic. I mean, the the individuals that you have come on from all walks of life are, and I I won't. You've kind of shared with me some upcoming episodes that are going to be coming out, and they're uh, some amazing people. So it's going to be fun to tune in. And so obviously before the podcast world, you were in the world of orthopedics and can you talk a little bit about that where, you know, where your career started and some of the different you're obviously well accomplished and, you know, been been extremely successful. I'd love to hear about that.
0: Yeah, I'm very thankful for the time that I had with Zimmer, now Zimmer Biomet. I'm a legacy Zimmer rep and that company brought me to a place where I am now, and I learned a lot there and worked with some amazing people that really shaped my life and mentored me and took somebody that was very rough in terms of being able to do this job right and and just polish and grind and polish and grind and just nothing but positive things to say about my experience there and had success and got to meet some great customers that would later become close personal friends and just thoroughly enjoyed that aspect of my career. And now we're in 2020 and I had some family situations that evolved that just demanded a move. And ironically, one of the surgeons that I interviewed for the podcast reached out to me and said, Hey, would you like to come here and be my rep? And just everything came together for that move and it's just been an awesome opportunity a little scary starting over and learning new things and you know you you do reach a certain point when you've been with a company for a long time that you can you can phone a lot of things in so to speak but sometimes that can be your enemy right that you get you get so comfortable you can stop growing or stop pushing that envelope and it's been all good for me to start from scratch and go through that process again and just see what it's like to get dropped into a territory and, and have to meet people for the first time. It takes you right back to the basics of this business. And that's been a good thing, been a really good thing for me.
1: Well, and as you say, you know, drop back into, you know, back to the basics. And obviously, you're very successful. So I'm sure that will be the, the case again where you are now. And it's funny, our world so I had this debate with people often. I don't know if you want to call it a debate or you know a conversation, a heated conversation. And for my 20 plus years in this industry, I've heard, you know, this is changing. This world is changing. You know, it's going it, to it's very different. The hospitals, you know, they're going to be controlling with the surgeon choices and they're going to be doing it. And, and that has changed. But the one thing that I've noticed has not changed, that it is 100 percent. About the technical ability and customer service of the representatives—surgeon relationship—and and when I say relationship, I mean you know the obviously the customer service piece of it and the technical ability and you know the surgeon's reliance upon very technically sound, customer-centric representation. And I don't see that as changed has changed one bit. In fact, I think it's anyway, I won't go more into what what I think about. It. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. What you've experienced and this is a perfect timing in your career to talk about that.
0: I agree. I think there's been a lot of talk on that over the years. And I think a lot of it comes from price it is driving a lot of that conversation. Hospitals are having a lot of pressure to make their numbers each month and especially with COVID and it's just intensifying and the implants always seem to have a target on their back. So the repless model has usually been brought up in the context of, okay, if we kick the rep out of the room, can we get an even lower price on the implant? And I think that uh, that hasn't really played out. Now, there are opportunities for the rep to get out of the OR and do other things, and it's going to require some surgeon buy-in. I know Dr. Dasa has really spearheaded that site medical project so that the staff and the surgeons still enjoy uh, some coverage through the application that helps the tech through the case, it takes that off the shoulders of the rep and it handles a lot of the the administrative aspect as well. But again, I think it requires some surgeon buy-in and we're seeing some traction on that. So I think some of these new technologies are going to make that work with a little bit of a safety net, so to speak. The challenge becomes the the race to the bottom that we find ourselves in on ASP. So let's say you're working for a company and your commission rate is, let's just say 7%, right? Is that a viable model? And, and I'll just make a number up. If total needs are $1,500, right? Then does that work anymore? And uh, we're not at $1,500, but it just seems like every year, it just gets pared down more and more. So then it just creates a real challenging position for reps. Maybe they're trapped into a contract that's cut their price out from under them. And you know there's other things they might be able to do, but they can't do because of a non-compete. And it's just a really challenging situation. And then you got the pressure of the companies having to make their numbers every quarter and the the earnings calls and how do they do that when a lot of cases are being canceled and they're going to make their numbers one way or the other? So then there's the potential for more degradation on the commission side or bonuses or whatever. So it's a really challenging environment. I think Replis when I when I look at the whole landscape, I think Replis is probably the the least of the concerns right now. I think there's there's some bigger headwinds that are coming at us and I. I think it's going to get more and more challenging with each month. I wish I had some positive news on that. However, I, I think there is positive news. I think there's opportunities in the midst of it. Out of chaos can come opportunity if you look for it.
1: Well, I think that's very well said. And for and me just trying to look in the crystal ball looking forward, I think that individuals who are in a position to work with companies that possess new technology and technology that's going to change outcomes and quote-unquote save money at the same time, that's where, as a representative, I would want to be where I am and others that I know want to be. Because, you know, it's just, I do see these talks about the repless model and how, you know, we're going to one day, That that's how it's going to work. One day, we're going to get these reps out of the OR. And I, you know, I see the exact opposite, several studies and one that just came out, you know, that Dr. Warner and Dr. Gall did about, you know, the percentages of shoulder surgeons that require you know, technical representation in the room. It's like 76% demanded. And so you look at those kind of numbers and you say, okay, there's definitely a disconnect here because you've got the company, some of these companies who are Striving towards that. I mean, I once had a president of an orthopedic company say to me, "You know, there's going to come the day where we're going to be able to just dump something on the table, and with a couple of different maneuvers, they're going to be able to put that in, whether it's with a robot or with something else. And you know, we're we're going to eliminate a lot of cost that way. And again, is that going to be coming someday? Sure, I'm sure at some point is. But as technology Changes And I think that even though, even to go deeper with COVID here, you know, there's a lot of chatter about that. Just, you know, well, reps no longer attending cases in the OR. And I've actually seen the exact opposite during this. So I appreciate your feedback on that because I, you know, as, as, we, as we move forward, this is going to be an interesting paradigm. We're going to have to see if this shift happens the way they think. And I don't know if you've taken a look at all or, or, or talked to anybody in the whole virtual world where they're going to be able to give assistance through some kind of a video portal or something like that. Have you seen any of that technology coming to market?
0: I have. And again, I'm kind of cup half full on this technology. I think that if I had the opportunity to get out of the OR in primary straightforward knees that literally all I'm doing is showing a box to a scrub tech and I could leave them in a good position where everybody's covered, all the stakeholders are happy, but I could be using that time to go out and hunt down new business or to cover that complicated revision in the next room or the next county over, then that's a good thing. That replis model works. So that's where I think some of these technologies can provide a uh, benefit. I mentioned site medical, but there's other things out there. and But, you know, even as we keep adding more technological layers, then you need somebody to run the technological layer, right? If you're going to have a robot in the room, who's going to run the robot? And if you're going to have the augmented reality headset in there, who's going to be there to to manage that and make sure that the inputs are all put in correctly and that everything's running smooth for everybody? The, a lot of hospitals are, are short-staffed. I routinely hear People in the OR say that, okay, such and such a nurse left, but they didn't replace him or her. So they're taxed staff wise, at least my anecdotal side of the world. So giving them more to do that would be historically the reps' obligation or the reps' area code, so to speak, is unrealistic. So I don't see it going completely that way at all, but like I said in the midst of it, I think there might be opportunities to capitalize on that if you are the one that can bring the technology to to again bring that value proposition to them where they feel like they're getting something and maybe you're not chained to every case. You know, I don't know, we're going to have to let that play out. Right now it's we're not there. Exactly. And You know, and I also
1: see, and I've had this discussion with several people who talk about the repless model and they focus in on, well, you know, the technical expertise in the OR. And yes, that is a huge piece of the puzzle, but (laughs) they don't seem to also take into account what happens when those instruments slash implants hit the front door of the hospital and then go through the whole process of getting into the OR, And there are so many individuals in that process, which we could all go down. We could go down a rabbit hole with hospital costs and things of that nature. But I think that is often not taken into account, which, you know, I I think they just believe it magically happens. (laughs) They don't know all the minutiae that occurs, you know, getting to that point.
0: Well, you do this job long enough, Eric, and you certainly have. A lot of decisions are made that affect the OR. That are made by people that have never set foot in the OR. So that gets back to individual hospitals. How connected is administration to what's actually taking place in that OR? Any reasonable look and time spent would illuminate their thinking as to what that process looks like. This is what the reps do bring in value to this hospital. They're looking at the x-rays. They're not all the time, but they're doing all the the behind-the-scenes work to make sure that that patient walks out of there with the best possible outcome within what we can do, right? It's typically only in those situations where there's just a complete disconnect. They really don't know what's going on in the OR and what what has to happen for these cases to come off and and nothing to go wrong. So... Well, I had an interesting thing happen.
1: I guess it was within the last thirty days, and I was in a—I won't say the name of the hospital—but it was. A, I, I was impressed when I did see this. I was walking through the OR. We, we had a surgeon meeting, and I went through the OR, went to the core, and then went into the room to talk about something. And, and there, dressed out in scrubs, with the CEO of the hospital, and he was in a room, and he was observing. And he also walked to the core and asked some questions of of some people that were there. I had never seen that before in all my years. And he introduced himself and it was, you know, just, you know, short conversation of highs and buys, that type of thing. But I thought that was pretty interesting. And that's the first time in years.
0: Of all the hospitals I've covered, I've only seen that in one location, Where I I would routinely see the CEO in the doctor's lounge just hanging out, wanting to hear what was going on. And I don't know why that isn't done more often. I don't know if it's intimidation or it's a lack of humility. And I see it even in medical device when you have leaders involved that really don't know what's going on at the front line. The classic story of McNamara in the Vietnam War of trying to run that war from Washington. And again, I think some of it's hubris. Some of it is just, it takes work, it takes listening. But at the end of the day, if you really want your decisions to be the best decisions and to bring the maximum value to the people in the trenches, well, you need to be in the trenches and, and ask a lot of questions. Find out what's going on in the trenches and what, what do the trends look like and how can we prepare for this and how can we create the best environment? for the people that are there that are very valuable to the future of our company or the hospital, right? So if you don't know what's going on in the OR, then there's a good chance that that some of your policies and procedures might not line up with where the ship is going or where it needs to go and what you might need to do to keep everybody happy. I mean, the OR is no different than medical device and that turnover is costly. It takes a long time to get people up and going so the best scenario, at least in my humble opinion, is how do you keep people around and, and keep them engaged and keep them happy and, and keep them fulfilled and, and confident that the ship is going the right direction and, and a, a very positive direction and excited about the future?
1: Well, and it's interesting as you and I are sitting here talking that out of the thousands and thousands, I don't know, maybe even tens of thousands of interactions it, between you and I we've known of two CEOs that have done that. So I think that says a lot, but anyway, kind of makes you sit back. Good stuff.
0: stuff. A distributor needs to be out in the field, you know, being in cases with the reps, talking it up, hearing what the doctor's saying, what's purchasing saying and all that stuff. It's on and on and on. Team leaders need to be engaged with the people on their team. And, you know, it's so easy for all of us to get into our silos because our our job is, is so busy and taxes us so much that we don't really have a lot of, to use a completely overused word, but enough bandwidth to be able to engage on some of these other things that really need our attention. And instead, we just spend the day kind of the tyranny, of the urgent, just trying to make sure no disasters happen that are kind of close to ourselves, but not really engaging outside of ourselves. So...
1: Well, and I had a boss who, an executive with an orthopedic company once say to me, the closest to the customer always wins. And it's rang true throughout my entire career. So
0: yeah, that's we'll good. See.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, and so, you know, you and I obviously have a lot of, you know, similar, I mean, have similar backgrounds in the, in the, in the orthopedic world. Where do you see, you know, I have my thoughts upon this. Where do you see? the life of an independent distributor representative, what do the next 10 years look like if you had your crystal ball?
0: That's a very good question, Chris. And I have been watching this thing evolve. And I think that the independent rep, their stock is just gonna continue to go up because the challenges that are facing a big ortho, I'm not sure how that gets resolved. I don't know how you make these numbers when the ASP still keeps going down and it's going to be a challenging times. Now, that's not saying there's not pockets of, you know, it's the best thing in the world. I'm not arguing that at all. And don't misunderstand. I'm not downing big ortho at all. I think it's those companies are doing amazing things. However, I am seeing a trend that I saw in Spine. I remember a time when it was basically Danick that was pulling the levers in spine. And then we started seeing smaller companies come out, and it didn't happen overnight. But one day you woke up and you know there was Depu-Synthes Spine, but there was also CoreLink. There was Medtronic Spine, but there was also Titan Spine and Alpha Tech and Globus and Nuvasive. And I thought to myself when that was going on that we are going to end up in that same place eventually in reconstruction. I don't know how long it's going to take, but we're starting to see it now. Smaller companies that have more of a value proposition. They don't have some of the publicly traded constraints. There's a good orthopedic word for you there. I like that. That's good. Uh On their back. And can be creative and, and nimble. And I don't think it's necessarily a, what's the word I'm looking for? A zero-sum game. I, I think that these joints are going to continue to rise in terms of the le- the amount. And I think a rising tide floats all ships. So I think we're going to see more and more things not only done on the big ortho side, but I think that the independents are going to flourish and just become a bigger and bigger part of the space, you know when I started this business, most surgeons didn't even think that anybody existed outside of Helmetica, Zimmer, and depew and then Smith and nephew came along and they've they've made a really good run of things but so the older surgeons are very wedded to that concept, but the younger ones, not so much. They don't see life like there's only three or four companies. And we're starting to see a lot of that momentum, at least for the smaller players, coming from the younger surgeons. And with what's going on in the ASCs and the bundling and some of the, again, the downward pricing pressures, it's giving them opportunities into the space that that honestly, I think a lot of people in bigger world don't want to occupy. If you sell a Mercedes and your hospital wants a Kia and then you sell your Mercedes for the price of a Kia, well, guess what? You no longer have a Mercedes now. You have a Kia. So that's the challenge. I've got some ideas on that front, but I think it's going to be a real struggle as more and more of the market wants a Kia what are companies going to do to respond? The, the smaller companies are already there. They can respond. The, the real challenge is going to be how do the larger companies respond to that?
1: And what, you know, we are using the term big ortho, and I think everybody knows kind of who those players are. You sure. know, they've been excellent at doing contracting and doing the, you know, limiting vendors in the hospital, which is We could go down a real rabbit hole with this one, but I guess we'll start it. You know, that world of limiting vendors is the, you know, I haven't understood why hospitals think that that model saved them money because it really didn't. And I had a great conversation with somebody within the Mayo Clinic that, you know, said to me, listen, we want to be the innovative IDN the innovative system where we use new technology because we believe that new technology is the best for our patients we're going to get it at a great price but we don't want to engage in these limit the vendor type contracts because that just keeps prices at an artificially high level and that was the first time somebody had said that to me this was a few years back and that's exactly what has happened with these let's limit the amount of vendors and I you know on LinkedIn I see all this and I kind of engage with people and go back and forth about it and they they're just you know They've had all this business in a hospital and all of a sudden one day they go, guess what? Today we're going to use X and the surgeons are mad. It's just, it's amazing how it happens. I don't think that's going to be the model moving forward. But, you know, back to my original statement, Big Ortho was, did a wonderful job at creating that environment. And that's kind of where we have to participate right now.
0: Eric, good points. Let me throw a couple things out on this topic because I'm very passionate about this. I have always been a huge proponent of surgeon choice. I've never felt like that somebody in administration should be able to tell a surgeon who's been to all that schooling what he has to use. I feel like that's a clinical decision and it always should have been a clinical decision. Where a lot of administrators got tripped up was thinking that they could only get that pricing if. They limited competition in the hospital. And that's just not true. I've seen more than enough hospitals over the years that said, this is what we're going to pay. We don't care what the surgeons use. And guess what? Everybody fell in line. The reason I don't like this whole thing is that, you know, everybody's a big fan of it when you're the one that's got the contract. But these systems are famous for coming up a year into a five-year contract renegotiating. And then there you are. You're boxed out. You can't sell anything. You're under a non-compete. So what are you going to do? Your kids are in school. Your wife's got a job that she enjoys. And you're hosed. So I do not like them. I think your product should stand on its own. And and if you feel like you need a 90% market share agreement so the hospital can get your pricing to me, that's a little bit of insecurity, right? You have to box everybody out. What if there was no limitations on what anybody could use? Would they still use your product? Then that brings up another issue. <laughs> so I understand everybody's desire with what's going on to try to stake out territory and protect it with these agreements. But again, it, it's a sword You either wield or it ends up right through your left ventricle. And I don't like it. I've always felt like the surgeon should be the ultimate decider of what goes in a patient. And the pricing is a separate issue that the hospital should negotiate and say, this is what we're willing to pay. And and you know what? If that's a price that's too low, then okay, we're going to walk away from this and not do it. And I've seen that happen before. Hospitals came in with a, a real low ball figure and maybe one out of the 10 vendors was willing to come in at that price and it just kind of fell apart. And that's another discussion. I think a lot of hospitals, again, it's that disconnect between administration and what's going up on what a purchasing agent called mahogany row, that disconnect with what's going on down in the OR. And a lot of it turned into a us versus them. When I came along, a lot of the purchasing people were my friends. I worked with them. I would do anything for them. And we had friendships. And then one day, I don't know if they all went to the same in-service, but a lot of hospitals, it turned into a completely antagonistic model. And I think a lot of goodwill got lost in the middle of that. And they'll never know it because they don't know what they they didn't get. But I know that in a lot of circumstances, what a lot of reps and companies could do for these institutions just didn't happen because of that relationship was so, again, an overused word, toxic. My mom always said you can catch a lot more flies with honey. And if hospitals figured that out they would find a a ready and willing audience of people wanting to work with them to address a lot of these issues because it's not just price. There's a whole laundry list of things that that companies can bring to the table to help hospitals fill a COVID-sized hole in the ground. But as long as the conversations are all caps lock, then that's never going to happen. It's hard to reach across the aisle to help somebody that just seemingly wants to put your hand in a mousetrap all the time and that's sadly where a lot of hospitals are wish we could talk to them and explain there's a better way that will actually serve your purposes far more than this false war that you started cuz it it doesn't help you in the end so
1: well and you when you get the opportunity to talk to very skilled negotiators and that sit down and talk to you know, what, it, not in our space, but other spaces, it's a very different back and forth exchange. And I totally agree with you. It became antagonistic. It seemed like it was right after 2000. It seemed, I, I don't know whether there was somebody who came out with a course that, that sat them all down in a room and said, okay, this is what you need to do. You throw the book down on the desk and you yell and you scream and you give me a price by Friday at four o'clock or you're out. That seemed to be, you know, I I always knew when somebody attended one of those, because that's what I got. You get the phone call. Well, you better get in here, you know, it's one of those things. And it's exactly how you, you stated it. It just became very antagonistic. And it was, you know, it went from at first being, well, we better get in there and do something to now. It's kind of, you know, as you and I talk on a podcast, if if somebody in materials is listening you know i just kind of roll my eyes now when i get those type of calls cuz i you know i know how it goes it's you know it's very it, it's very scripted but you put it perfectly if you know you can catch a lot more flies with honey and well, companies would be much more willing to work with them i believe
0: well one thing that we have to at least look in the mirror and be honest with ourselves. What's that country song? God is great. Beer is good. And people are crazy. And there are some crazy reps out there that I remember being in second grade and getting all upset that there was that one kid in class that would ruin it for everybody. You know, The whole class would get punished because of that one rep. I worked with a distributor at one time that wouldn't start the sales meeting until every rep was there. And that used to Strike me as patently unfair that we all got there 30 minutes early and we're going to get punished because one rep shows up 30 minutes late. Never thought that was right. And a lot of these antagonistic relationships in these hospitals, there's a story, you know, it wasn't necessarily That they woke up one day or they went to a meeting and they said, This is the way to do it. Just make their lives miserable and you'll get what you want. I think in some of these cases, it was reps just doing things just out of line. I worked with a hospital one time that just seemed to have a lot of reps that were not signing in to vendor mate and just not playing ball. And when the hospital asked them to do things, it was always a fight. And those relationships were never developed. When I first started, my distributor said, Hey, this is the girl. Her name was Cindy Jacobs, and she's in purchasing, and you need to go see her every week. Just find out what's going on. Can you help her? So I was raised to do that, so to speak. I don't think a lot of reps do that anymore. We're not we're not stopping by purchasing. And if we do, it's usually something negative. We forgot that they need to be on our call pattern just like the surgeon, just like the OR and the the offices and just to see what's going on. I had a surgeon tell me that the biggest defense against a lawsuit is a relationship, and th- and that's so true in their side of the world. And and you, if you can kind of be a little loosey goosey with that phrase, I, I think it plays into our world as well. You know, what are we doing? Even if reps are being what they are, maybe it's negative. Are we fostering a positive relationship with the administration of our hospital? Is it, are we making intentional efforts to stay connected with them and and say how can we help? You know, so I, I think in these hospitals where it is really antagonistic, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that it always has to be that way. At least between the listener of your show and their their administration. I mean, what are you doing? Have you not gone by there ever to see what's going on? So. That may be part of the problem. I know in some hospitals there was no fixing it, and I, I actually tried <laughs> to reach across the aisle, and and it was almost like we're we're wired to do this now, and east is east and west is west, and never the twain shall meet. So get out of my office type of men- mentality, and nothing was going to change that. I understand, but I think we at least try. We at least try. We darken their door, you know, make it a point to go there once a week, once a month, and just. They need to know your name and what you do and and that you do have a heart to help them out. And if if you can ever help them out, here's my number. Call me. If you get a back order, even if it's not my product, if it's orthopedic related, I'll do what I can to help you out. So I, we we at least need to make an effort so that we can say in the, at the end of the day, even when it goes south or it's not what you want it to be, well, you at least did what you could do to try to make it positive.
1: You are 100% spot on because when I first got into the business, I trained with with a guy who taught me some phenomenal things. And one of the things that he always had in his bag was a bone model or something with, you know, whether it's a plate and screw or whatever device it was, had in his bag. And when he would go into purchasing, he would say you know, as he was signing in or seeing somebody go, Hey, what are you up to today? Well, let me tell you. I'm, uh, we've got this case today and this is what we're going to be doing. He'd show the bone model with the plate and to the person in purchasing. And that person became this guy's ally through everything. And he never had issues with it. And, you and obviously you're not doing it for some kind of, you know, some kind of End around on something, but he she genuinely was interested, and it was just uh, it was an interesting. And so I I always did the same thing. I always whenever I talk about new technology, I would bring it with me in my hand on a bone model, and then just show them what it was and what it would do. And it's a very different conversation when you do that.
0: So you cannot you cannot Eric, you just nailed it. One of the things that I learned from a Synthes rep from many years ago. He would always carry around something on his bag that was out in the open that you could see it, and it was a conversation magnet. He would be walking down the hall, and somebody would see it, and the doctor would be like, hey, what's that? So it allowed for a very organic sales call, right? Because whoever's asking about it is open. They want to know what it is. So it's a whole different animal than, hey, doc, can I come by the office and show you something? So now you're in sales mode and they may be going into defense mode, but there's no defense mode when you have something sitting out in the open and somebody asks you about it. So I started incorporating that into what I did. I know the demo bank guy by first name. We knew each other (laughs) because I was always ordering stuff just to carry around as a conversation starter. Like you said, not only to customers or techs or, you know, the people that are the normal stakeholders, but like you said, somebody in purchasing that may just want to know a little bit more about what they're processing POs for, what is it you're doing in the OR? And and a lot of times nobody's ever darkened their door to actually explain that to them. And a prop is a great vehicle. It's not confrontational. It's very conversational. So good stuff.
1: Yeah, it, it, it was funny. So I started my career at Synthes, and I think I told you that. So maybe that was that was that was something that we all did. But yeah, and it changes the conversation completely. Where they see it, and they they're asking you, and that changes you know everything. You're not you know knocking on the door and taking time out of their schedule. So it's very different. And and you know it it as those conversations went on in the hospital with different you know as you said stakeholders. You know, then you can even say, well, wait until you see what happens with this. This is going to be the newer technology that comes out later this year that, you know, is going to allow us to do this. And, you know, there's right. those little different points and things like that. You know, then you become obviously part of the the solution, you know, the the team. And so but, you know, back to what we were originally saying, hospitals have tried to eliminate a lot of that by like, these are the two vendors. And it's changed big ortho. And I don't want to make this blanket statement because it's changed them. I believe from sales and service organizations to service organizations, and they rely on sometimes other vehicles for sales. Does that? I'm, I'm trying. I guess maybe I'm trying to be politically correct when I state that because I'm not. I'm not implying that's everyone in Big Ortho because it's not. But it's changed. It's different. You know, that's it's not. I've just noticed this just recently as the big boys have gotten bigger. It's changed. What have you seen in that arena?
0: Well, everything changed when a lot of these companies became publicly owned. You know, I think they're doing what they have to do and using their portfolio and their size to leverage every last thing they can get their hands on right now. And because they're under pressure from their shareholders to to make their numbers. So I totally understand that. That's that side of the world. Whereas those pressures weren't as apparent many, many years ago, there was more give and take on the business cycle, right? We all know what that is you know, you make president's club, oftentimes the next year is the worst year of your life. And you wonder if you're going to survive it. I've, I've certainly been there, but that's no longer acceptable because those numbers have to be met. I've, I've seen people with a couple companies that I, I was honestly surprised. They got let go. I mean, tenured reps that, that did a great job and they had two years in a row of some things happened that didn't go their way. And Really, at the end of the day, it wasn't their fault, but those number pressures are just getting higher and higher. So now I will jump over for a second to directly address something you brought up and the dirty little secret. And I had a great conversation the other day with somebody about it, is that when I first started, there was a lot of differentiation between the implant systems out there. And if you were selling an IB2, well, you know what? That was a lot different than a Duracon. And if you were selling a Duracon, well, you know, that's not the same knee as a New Jersey LCS with meniscal bearings. So there was a lot of things that were different as a sales rep. That was fun. You know, it was the whole feature benefit thing and creating stark differences. Well, as we've climbed that diminishing returns curve, And if you think about it, let's use total knees for an example. When you go back 40 years and look at the designs back then, we're not that far off what we're doing now. Now, there's been some obvious good tweaks, whether it's trochlea design or implant options and how we do the poly now. I mean, all that stuff. But by and large, when you look at what most companies are offering right now, they look very similar. Very similar. And the things that we used to hang our hat on as reps as being stark differences, I honestly believe there's no getting around that business concept of a diminishing returns curve. So every tweak now is exorbitantly expensive for the companies to pull off. And it really isn't moving the needle that much. I mean, we were getting high 90% survival rates at 10 years with the IB2. So, when you look at what we've got now across with any company, you've got good Patella tracking, you've got a good sizing to work with, you've got good polyethylene. So, how does a company differentiate themselves in such a way or to provide something of value to the account to, again, lock out the competition, right? So, then it switched to process. Then it became, okay, how we are putting these implants in that are very similar now is going to be how we're going to do that. And so then it's robotics then it's uh, navigation, PSI, CT, MRI based blocks. We've got augmented reality coming out, but again, it gets back to that line in the incredibles when everybody's incredible, then nobody is. So what happens when everybody has a robot? Well, then that differentiator that the hospital had to drive business to their front door, it's it's not there anymore. So what's next? So I'm not sure what that next is going to be. And I'm not sure how that next gets funded with a decline in money coming in for not only the procedures, but, you know, the hospitals not getting the money they were getting before. I'm not sure. I had a surgeon tell me years ago, and it was very profound. He drew a graph and just drew an X in the middle and said, you know, this is the money coming into the system. And that was a line that was going down. And he said, this is the technology curve for implants and the stuff used to put them in. And that curve was going up. And he said, it's, that's, that's unsustainable. It's completely unsustainable. And he was right. I mean, there's nothing, there's no rocket science here. The money coming in is getting less and less. The hospitals are under more and more pressure. The companies still maintain that pressure on themselves, being publicly traded companies. So there's there's a break coming. There's a break coming because we can't continue to bring things to the hospital that cost not only the hospital more money to add to the procedure, but it costs the companies tens of millions of dollars to develop. So it's going to require some very creative thinking because I'm not sure what's over the hill from robots. If we, if we have not differentiated implants and we're all putting them in with really non-differentiated technology for the most part, and I know people would argue with that, we know, but we have this and we have that. I get all that, but I think we're going to see the same thing happen. That things are going to come together and be more like each other and do a lot of the same things, maybe not exactly the same way. So then what? Then what do you do? That's the million dollar question. I think at the end of the day, the big ortho is going to have to have what I call a sacrificial lamb. Every company's going to have to have it. I shared that with. Somebody 12 years ago, I drove 10 hours to share this concept with him and he told me it was the stupidest thing he ever heard. And here we are 12 years later. If the market wants a Kia and you want a Mercedes and you sell a Mercedes, what are you going to do? I think you need a Mercedes on the lot. You need a Toyota. And and maybe Kia is a bad example because In the old days, Kia was like the cheapest thing, but they actually have some nice stuff right now. So I'm not sure what would be the best vehicle description here, but I think you need, you're going to need all things on your lot so that if they do want a cheap value proposition implant, you're not looking at your portfolio and realizing, well, I've just got this one thing. And if I sell that one thing at this price, then the people two counties over are going to want that same price in their mind, they're buying my Cadillac. This account doesn't want to pay Cadillac prices. They want to pay for a, you know, a Yugo. I remember, uh, what was that? How much did that car cost? $19.95?
1: So, yeah, I was going to say Yugo, I think is where you're going with this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's a better analogy. So I think that's going to be the real challenge. If I had to crystal ball anything, I, I think there's going to be a need for that of each company is going to have to develop a sacrificial lamb, either they're going to develop it or just buy it so that for the account that's just totally value driven, then, okay, well, this is the implant we're going to use for this. And I'm starting to see that in some pockets. It's not across the board yet, but I think that's going to have to happen. But I think in the short run, we're going to continue to see technology, big ticket items on the technology side being used as a sledgehammer to get share and then keeping people out by saying, hey, we just gave you this million dollar widget in return for that. This is what we expect. I think we're going to continue to see that because, again, that's the only play right now. There's really nothing else because the differentiation on the product side has kind of been dealt. And that's actually a compliment, by the way. I mean, all the companies, I think, have done a really good job refining their offerings. But it is kind of funny that we're at a place now where everybody has a Karai. Everybody has an ML taper stem. Everybody's pretty much using the same ceramic heads from Biolox. Everybody has cups that work. Everybody has a knee that works and a revision knee that works. And it's a really interesting place that we find ourselves in.
1: Well, and as the world changed, and I can't pinpoint the exact time frame, but you know, there was there's this span of years where big ortho companies decided to dial down R and D dramatically, and the strategy then became: let's let these other small companies bring these this new technology, whether it's in the extremity space, spine space, all the different spaces. Let's let them get beat up. Let's let them go through all the headache. Let's let them do all this because Big ortho has got a whole lot of cash sitting there ready to buy something. And it seems like, you know, that's when the MA, the mergers and acquisitions piece of those big ortho companies became, you know, a very prevalent piece of the puzzle for them. And so I think in kind of doing a little bit of a kind of, looking at this big picture that's presented an opportunity going back to the independent representative of several different really neat technologies that have come to market the marketplace which i've i've interviewed several of those companies on this podcast ortho idea just that they are looking at you know obviously they want to build their sales but to hopefully quote unquote get bought someday that's gonna be probably one of the exit strategies but more importantly, they have a whole new technology they bring into the marketplace. So that's made it exciting for the independent representative that's not, you know, a representative in, in big ortho, because you kind of touched on it a little bit is this world of you work in big ortho, you have a fantastic position, you're doing extremely well, things change all of a sudden, and now you have a non compete. And you're not doing anything for a year or maybe longer. There's some of them that I've seen out there like that. So I think that, you know, we have talked about this and you have touched upon some things that are, you know, in our conversations that you specifically are doing. So I was wondering your, your outlook on that and kind of what the way you're positioning yourself for that.
0: Yeah. I think that what we're going to see down the road, and I'm working with some very creative individuals to try to see this happen because I'm a, I'm a believer in it of being able to bring a lot of disparate resources together, a lot of independent reps under a larger umbrella. I think that makes a lot of sense. It provides a lot of synergies whether you're talking about negotiating commissions or just coverage, you know, to, in today's world the independent rep is on an island. And maybe they have a team of people. Maybe they don't. If they don't have a team, and there's a case that needs covering, what are they going to do? If you don't have anybody backing you up, and I've really begun to embrace the concept lately of creating an organization that that knits all these people together arm in arm, and creating a platform to bring these new ideas to them and add to their bag and expand the sales force and actually create. Um, an organization that can back them up, okay, you got three knees in two different places, such and such. Well, you know what? We have somebody we can help come down there and plug in for that case. Right now, that's not happening. And I think they lose power that way. At some point, I'd love to see this organization being able to get on an HCA contract, be able to get on Premier because they're coming together as one. That's never going to happen the way it is now with independent rep, just, you know, an army of one, so to speak. I think there's a lot of things that are left off the table going that route. Uh, We've explored the whole concept of repfreedom.com, which is just basically another angle. And again, Big Ortho is awesome. They do a lot of amazing things, but there are other ways to do this. Maybe in your particular neck of the woods, that's not the right play for you. Tip O'Neill, former Speaker of the House, said all politics is local. And you know what? In Territory X, working for one of the big three or big four, that's the only thing that makes sense. And I'm a firm believer in that. But I know that that's not true everywhere. And in a certain area where this is going on or that's not going on or whatever, then the best angle for you may be to sign on as an independent rep. And what does that look like? And rep freedom is just a a mechanism that I've joined arms with some other people that I, I think very highly of that are trying to do this the right way, bringing the right people on board and bringing the right products on board and just doing things differently. You know, no non-competes, no territory restrictions, taking that uh, sealing off of your head. If if something changes in one area, well fine, you can go somewhere else and there's no constraints and being able to triple, double, triple commissions so that there's some quality of life issues that can be woven in there. You know, as the commission rates go down and as the demand for production goes up, at some point you do reach a quality of life issue where you're working a lot for not as much and you're missing your kids grow up and and your wife. And I mean, I know that's, that's not everybody, but I know some people have that challenge. Again, all politics is local. So we're just trying to create an, a mechanism for people that that may be the best look for them in their particular territory and say, well, you know what? It's like the old Herbalife. You know, lose weight now. Ask me how. It's, hey, look at this. Ask us how to do it. And then we can talk it through and see if it's a good fit to be on the team. And again, eventually, I hope to see that team to be a a national enterprise and not just a extremely localized and and myopic look, which is what's going on in independent ortho right now.
1: I think it's a fantastic idea, Kevin, just because you have hit on there is Lack of a better term, and we've tried to do this within our organization is kind of create some critical mass with representatives in certain key markets. But out there is the opportunity to, there is not the organizational structure there to get some things done. And you hit on a lot of those different ideas, whether it be commission, non competes, things of that nature. When you're an independent, you're put it perfectly an army of one so that's it could be a tough go it be, it's a fantastic and and very rewarding thing but at the same time it could be very tough so and I and I from afar I've followed the guys that have started reparating with you know yourself and so I wish you the best with it because I think you guys have a fantastic idea and I think it's going to take off for sure
0: yeah I'm excited just the the entrepreneurship going on in this space right now we're just seeing so many cool things. And I could just go on and on. I I see some smaller companies with a troke nail that I think, wow, that's just really cool. Talked with a surgeon for the podcast that just came up with an amazing foot and ankle plate set. And I could just go on and on. I I saw a really cool gadget the other day for delivering graft and, and extracting marrow for doing isolated bone fills. That's the fun part of being an independent is that you aren't limited nobody's saying this is what your portfolio is and we're gonna we're gonna you know put the sports medicine with this person or the biologics with another person basically the world is your oyster and that that part's kind of fun that you're not limited to any of this stuff I, I know of an independent rep who's just doing some amazing things in the Workers comp based on some rehab products, and it's just an interesting mindset when there's no limitations, and you, you basically are in charge of your destiny in a way of what you want to cover, what you want to carry, what you don't want to carry. That's that's kind of a strange place to be, right? Because I think for a lot of companies. They're handing down what they want you to sell this month. And, and what if in your territory that just doesn't play for whatever reason? So there you are looking bad, looking worse than you really are. It's a whole different animal when all that stuff's gone and, and you have a clear view of your territory, clean sheet of paper. What works? What needs to be so what can be sold in this territory that brings maximum value to the customer? It's a, it's a really interesting dynamic. It's very interesting.
1: It is. And it's only going to benefit these smaller companies and organizations that are looking for a professional sales channel to get their fantastic technology in the hands of surgeons and customers. And it's going to benefit them. And every day we see a new technology popping up on LinkedIn or something of that nature. And for them to have a sales channel that they can go to of independence that's Let's, for the lack of a better, you know, term, is 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 stating it as you know a well oiled machine. You know, they 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 know if they they work with these individuals, they're going to be able to have their products represented. So it's a very neat time to be in this space, and so I'm um, looking forward to the. You know, I'm a big fan of disruptors in, in different spaces, and that's what's happening right now. Very much so. Well Kevin, we have hit a lot of topics today and I really appreciate you coming on. I I think our audience is going to love, you know, the opportunity to hear your opinion on a lot of different things and obviously, you know, we've, we'll have to do this again, you know, maybe in the near future as some of these things come to fruition with what you're working on. And what I always ask everybody who comes on the Ortho Idea podcast is, you know, if if you are not the multi-talented Device Nation podcast host, the orthopedic representative that you have been for years and award-winning. If you were any of those things, what would you be doing when you grow up?
0: (laughs) You brought it up at the beginning and here we are, the circle of life. I love playing electric guitar and I'm a really strange bird that one part of me loves the classic rock vibe. I I love playing Pink Floyd, Journey, especially Neil Schoen and David Gilmore are my two favorites. And I just love their sound and their vibe and their melody, sense of melody. I love that side of it, but there's a part of me, and I'll never forget this, I was Going into a meeting at Pinehurst Country Club, and there was a couple old guys out there, little three-piece jazz combo, and the guy was just doing this amazing stuff, jazz guitar. And if if I had all the time in the world and didn't have to do all that other stuff and could make a living at it, (laughs) that's the trick in music is making a living out of it. But I would love to do that. I've gotten to see some amazing jazz guitarists over the years. George Benson in particular really inspired me. And so I can preach it either way. I I like the distorted sound with lots of delay, lots of reverb and compression and all those things. But then there's another part of me that just loves that stripped down jazz guitar sound and to be able to play that with a, with a group of guys, girls, whatever, that just love to play music. There, there's nothing more magical. And it's just like sales. It's just like life, right? When you get in, and, and I've experienced two extremes of this, but when you get around people that really are playing music just because they have to play it, it's no fun at all. And I think it's just like that in device. If you're with a team of people that are doing the job and they're just doing the job, it's just not fun. But when you get around people that are passionate about it, it makes me a better musician. I, I can improvise better. And it's just a just a lot of fun being on stage with, with a bunch of people that just love to play. So that's who you want to be around, no matter what it is you're doing, that people that love to do it. And that, that passion is so in, infectious. My wife and I were out walking the dog. The other day, there was two dogs on a lead that were coming at me, and one of the dogs was clearly afraid, and the other one was cool. But the one that was afraid was inciting the other dog to want to start barking, too, at every little thing. And and I thought that was just fascinating to watch, just, just how we can affect other people, how dogs can affect other dogs and get them agitated with these physical Signals that they do, and and we do the same thing. If we exhibit a love for what we do within a group setting, it's it's amazing how infectious that can be. And and like and contrary, if we are negative or complain a lot or or have fear, that can be just as equally contagious. So,
1: well, you put it perfectly, Kevin. I think we can put the cherry on top. This is well said to close out the Ortho Idea podcast here. So. Again, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on. I really appreciate it, and I look forward to catching up with you again real soon.
0: Yeah, great job on your show, Eric. You're getting great guests on there. You're doing a wonderful job, and my hat's off to you. Keep up the great work and anything I could ever do to to help bring value to what you're doing, just just let me know. Keep up the good work.
1: we Will do, Kevin. And again, thank you very much. Thank you. It was an honor.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Ortho Idea podcast. If you would like to learn more about the technologies discussed, please visit www.orthoidea.com.